0: Folks, can't think of a more glorious reason to celebrate than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christians around the globe gather today. Not just here, you know, folks all around the globe gather to celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And probably some of you here are saying... No, I'm I'm here today because I was told I have to go to church on Sunday. Or I have to come on Easter. That's an understanding that's become pretty accepted in America, is that if you're a good American and we're, you know, in in a Christian country, so to speak, you say, well, you have to go to church on Christmas and Easter. It's pretty accepted in this country. Many aren't exactly sure why. Perhaps it's with a notion that, you know, if they're actually gets to be something to this Jesus thing, you know, this He lives thing, if there's actually something to it, maybe we ought to, you know, patronize Him a little bit. Come to church every now and then, or Christmas and Easter, just in case we were to meet Him someday on the other side. That way He might remember, you know, how we personally accommodated our day for Him. You know, some, some do attend Christmas and Easter kind of as a, a, a fallback safety net, just in case. Folks, that's not the reason that Christians celebrate Easter. It's not the reason we commemorate Resurrection Sunday. It's not a backup plan. Folks, we gather together to recognize and acknowledge that every human being will rise. Every single one will rise and stand before God in judgment. Everyone. Hebrews 10.25 assures us, it is appointed for man to die once, and then judgment. Regardless of how good or how evil you or I have behaved in our lives, everybody will be resurrected. Acts 24.15 there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So, your personal resurrection, it's not a matter of if it will occur or, or when it might happen. It's a matter of that day, that day of judgment. It will happen, and it will matter where you stand on that day. Where will you stand? You know, it doesn't even matter if you say, you know, well, I don't really believe in that life after death stuff. I'm not buying into that notion of there being anything beyond the grave after we die. Nonetheless, you will stand. You will rise regardless what you think about life after death, whether you agree with Jesus or not. Your soul will rise, folks, and you will stand before God and you will give an account. Everyone will provide an account of the deeds that we have done while in the flesh, either good or evil. So we aren't, we aren't merely celebrating the fact that there's going to be a resurrection. There will be a resurrection, but, the, but that's not what we're here to celebrate. Just being a resurrection, that could turn out very good or very bad, depending upon where you stand in that day. Folks, we come to celebrate one particular resurrection. That is of Jesus Christ Himself. That's what we're Celebrating. Is that Christ has been raised. And if you were here possibly on another occasion, probably last Christmas or maybe at another church last Christmas, you learned how God sent his son, sent him into the world to be conceived of a Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, and born of a virgin named Mary. The Christmas story. Folks, that Christ entering humanity was such a substantial event. Such a weighty event that even today, some 2,000 years later, for, for the most part, the world is still calculating time from the day of His birth. 2,000 years later. That's how significant the birth of Christ is. Sensational. And for that baby that laid in the manger, we are told that all the fullness of deity dwelled in bodily form. All the fullness of God dwelt in that manger. Christ was born the sinless Son of God. The sinless Son of God. He lived His entire life as a sinless Son of God. Folks, that, that is the miracle of Christmas right there. The holy righteousness of God became a man. And He lived and He dwelt with us. He lived a sinless, perfect life. None of us have. For Scripture says, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. But Christ, He never fell short of the glory of God. Not even once. Because He lived His life entirely obedient to the Father. Never once fell from glory. In fact, fact, He lived and He put on display the glory of God. So everyone could see with their own eyes who lived in that day, who were around him, what God looked like. One of his disciples named John said of him, He dwelt among us and we saw his glory. Talking about Christ. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, righteousness on display. So the record of Jesus' life is one of complete honor, complete obedience to the Father. He dwelt with men. He dwelt with women. He, Folks, He lived among people just like you and me. Just like us. Not a lot different than we are here today. And Christ dwelt among us. So Our church has been studying through the Gospel of Luke. We've been going through that for some time now. We've witnessed how large the crowds were that were drawn to Christ. They wanted to listen to His teaching. They saw it as He healed the sick. even cleansed the leper. At one point, even raised the dead. They were drawn to Him. Uh, He was like no other man. No other man that ever lived. Folks, and He shared that life. He shared the glory of His life with People just like us. Just like us. They got to hear Him. Boy, they got to see Him. They got to touch Him. And He offered Himself in His life to man. He did not withhold Himself from them. He loved them. He loves us. There were twelve men, in particular, most of us have heard about. They received... Special access to Christ. They got to travel with him. They got to minister with him as Christ ministered to the multitudes. They got to share intimate moments alone with Jesus. They listened as he prayed. They witnessed him walking on water. They got to hear speak the Father speak from heaven at Jesus' baptism. In the Jordan, as the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on Christ like a dove, and they heard from heaven, the Father speak, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. They got to see it. They got to hear it. Of course God is pleased. At that point, approaching 30 years old, and Christ had not sinned, The Father was perfectly pleased in every conceivable way, folks. Those disciples also got to witness what we're celebrating today. They got to witness the physical resurrection of Christ after He came out of the grave. They saw Him on that third day. He arose. They touched Him. They got to speak with Him. They fellowshipped with Him over at least a period of 40 days leading up to the day of Pentecost. They got to spend uh, time with the risen Christ. All those disciples now identified as apostles, as we call them, or sent ones, got to join Him and have a part in Christ's resurrection. Except one. There was one. One of the twelve didn't get to see Christ resurrected. Judas didn't get to see Him on that third day. He didn't get to touch Jesus. He didn't get to talk to Jesus. He didn't get to see Jesus. And still to this day, he has no part in the resurrection of Jesus. And it isn't that Judas Iscariot didn't have opportunities to get to know Jesus. You know what I'm saying? He lacked no opportunity. It isn't that he didn't get to see and to hear and to experience what the other eleven did. He got to to experience the exact same things that the other eleven got to experience. Judas had a privilege of spending intimate time with Jesus. Alone time with Christ and the other apostles. Apostles. He was even present to celebrate that Passover feast on that Friday that we now call Good Friday, the night before Christ's crucifixion. He was there with the other disciples. And we saw earlier in our Scripture reading, as I read to you from Mark, on the night of that betrayal, Christ gathered the twelve together in, in, in an upper room, a large upper room for the Passover meal. And as many of us learn this past Friday, as we attended the Seder and got to go through the fullness of that meal, Um, we got to see that picture, that that image, that that vivid representation of Christ in the Passover. The picture is right there in the Passover. When you take a spotless lamb without blemish, and then you you slaughter that lamb, and and you take the blood from that lamb and you put it on your door frame, your side post, and, and your lintel or your header. And they did so that as the angel of death came, as the angel of death came to bring judgment to Egypt, that with that blood of the lamb that was over their doorposts, the angel of death would pass on by. That's why they called it Passover. That's celebrated every year. The Israelites commemorated Commemorated, skipping that, or missing that death that that devoured Egypt. Unbelieving Egypt. The blood of the Lamb was spread so that God's judgment would pass. Served as a vivid picture of Christ. That's what the Passover was. Himself, the sinless Lamb of God. John the Baptist said, who takes away the sin of the world. And as that sinless lamb Christ suffered on the cross, He poured out His blood to, to cover or atone for sins that the wrath of God might be satisfied. Covering the sins of everyone who would put their trust in Him. John chapter 1, verse 12, To as many as received Him, to all who believe in His name, he gives the right to become children of God. That Passover meal, that final meal, it pointed directly at Jesus. Folks, Judas Iscariot, he was right there looking at Jesus, and he missed it. He saw Christ right in the face, later on, he even kissed him. And he missed it. After all that he'd experienced and shared with with the other eleven in Christ himself, he squandered the opportunity to know Christ as his Savior. He let redemption pass over him. Passed him by. He let salvation slip him away. Slip away. Folks, what a tragic miscalculation. What a tragic miscalculation. I'd like to take just a moment in brief to show just how close Judas was to salvation. And he missed it. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 2. I'm going to pick up at verse 14. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, fine. You can just listen. And listen closely. In Luke 22, we're at the same point in time as our earlier scripture reading from Mark. The disciples have made preparations to to eat the Passover feast together. They're all with Jesus in the upper room. And in verse 14, we read, When the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So Christ is preparing them for His death, which is imminent. It will come within hours. And then Jesus begins the Passover meal, presenting the Passover meal much like we experienced on Friday evening. They share in that, that, that Seder. That order of progression through the meal. And in verse 17 we're told, And when Jesus had taken a cup and given thanks, He said, Take take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. And when He had taken some bread and given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, that is later, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now listen closely to Jesus' next words. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. Folks, you don't need a whole lot of Bible understanding to know who it is that betrayed Jesus. That is Judas. Judas, the, tra- the traitor, is sharing the Passover meal with Christ. He's there with Him at Christ's own table, folks, where He is the guest of honor. And Jesus, even, even in, in His grace, God always extending the grace The call that is so often rejected provides a stern warning by stating, For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they, meaning the apostles, began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who is going to do this thing. Folks, look at at how close Christ uh, allowed Judas to get Judas even joined the chorus of the other eleven as, as they went one after one saying, sure, surely it's not I, right? Judas knew it was him. He still had the opportunity at that point to repent. No one pointed out Jesus. Nobody or Judas. Nobody uh, uh, thought it would be Judas. Folks, they had put him in charge of the money of the ministry. He was the treasurer. He put on a great act of being one of them. He was trusted. Folks, Judas would have fit snugly in here amongst us as Christians. We wouldn't have been able to tell who he was. In John chapter 13, as Christ even knelt to wash the disciples' feet... He said, not all of you are clean. Judas is still there. And he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. That's in John chapter 13, verse 11 to 18. In fact, Jesus told one of the disciples, probably John, the disciple that he loved, he told him that the identifying mark of the traitor was, he who has dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. Folks, as we studied Friday evening, that table, that, uh, that U-shaped table that they sat around, and, and he demonstrated how they would lay down on a pillow, on, on one arm as they'd eat with the other, and their feet would be pointed out as they would be stacked around the twelve of them and Christ around the table with their shoulder next to the table, eating off the table. And Christ said, it's the one who dips in the bowl with me. How close was Judas to Jesus at that table? He was right there. It couldn't have reached across from the other side of the table. Judas was next to him as was John. Within arm's reach of the Christ. Could we, could we be deceived that just being in close proximity to Christ, or to Christ's people, uh, we think that that would save us? That won't save us. That attending church maybe once or twice a year, or even 52 weeks a year, to think that that could save us? Judas spent more than that with Jesus. Jesus. That simply because we take fellowship in the Lord's Supper together, that we partake in that, that we have fellowship with Christ and with one another, doesn't prove anything. Judas took part in the Passover feast. Folks, let us not be deceived. Judas even dipped his morsel into Christ's cup. Proximity to Jesus... Proximity to Christ's followers does not save you. Judas still allowed salvation to pass him by. It's not that Judas didn't have an opportunity to respond. He had plenty of opportunity to respond. It wasn't that there isn't enough clarity to him uh, of Jesus' identity. Plenty had been made clear. Folks, the fact is that Judas determined that he didn't want any part of Jesus. He didn't want Him. And folks, as the rest of the disciples now were getting more and more clarity as to the identity of Christ, the suffering Messiah, that it wasn't going to be an immediate reign on the throne of David, that it was going to be a suffering Christ that would die, As the other eleven were starting to accept that and understand that and say, I'll follow you to death. Yes, that's the right answer. Oh no, Judas Judas became uh, discouraged and disgruntled with that picture of Christ. He didn't like that idea of Christ. He liked money, right? He skimmed the, the treasury, we're told by Scripture. He he longed for power, for, for influence, for prestige of being part of the group that was with the Messiah. The prestige of the world. And when he first signed on to following Jesus, he thought doing so would, would increase his stature, his reputation, his financial estate as the Christ would ascend to the throne of David. But when Jesus clarified that the Messiah was going to die, that anyone who is to follow Christ must also die to himself so that he may live, Judas didn't buy into that. He didn't like that picture of Christ. The closer he got and the more he heard, the less he liked. And as close in proximity as he came, Jesus Jesus was never uh, his Savior. While the other eleven went on to both see and proclaim the resurrected Christ. Use their lives to, to proclaim the gospel. To use their lives to build Christ's church. The other eleven, while they did that, Judas' record is disastrous, folks. After Christ was crucified and buried in the tomb, Judas became tormented at his betrayal of an innocent man he was tormented he initially thought that that getting that revenge of the one who he had thought misled him he thought that getting that revenge was going to be satisfying when it was all over with he was tormented isn't that how sin gets us it tells us it's going to satisfy us and if we just partake in it after it's after it's complete we're going to Be content and satisfied. That's how how sin deceives us. He wasn't satisfied. Judas committed a sin that brought intense sorrow. Because of that, before the first resurrection Sunday, before that first opportunity to see Christ, Judas picked out a branch and he hanged himself. He never saw the risen Christ. John MacArthur writes, Judas' remorse was not the same as repentance. As subsequent events clearly show, he was sorry, not because he had sinned against Christ, but because his sin did not satisfy him as he had hoped. If there were any question, folks, as to whether Judas ever repented... That question is firmly answered by Christ who declared, Woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Folks, if he were in heaven, which he's not, it would not have been better for him if he had not been born. Those of us who are genuine believers in Christ, we're not going to see Judas when we get to heaven. He's not there. And though his soul will be resurrected, and he will stand before Jesus uh, at the separation of the sheep from the goats, and, and he will be there in the judgment of the righteous and the wicked, the righteous in Christ and the damned. Though he'll be there, he has no part in Christ's resurrection. None whatsoever. Judas' greatest affliction... And his affection, excuse me, his greatest affection was not toward Jesus. His affection, folks, was for the world. He really loved the world. But Scripture reminds us Christians in 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. The world is passing away, John writes, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Forever! That's eternal life. How do you and I not make the same mistake as Judas, whose greatest joy was not in Christ, whose greatest joy was in the world? How do we join those other apostles who went out and declared the gospel and lived their life for Christ and those who enjoyed a part of Christ's resurrection, a resurrection to the living? Folks, the answer is quite simple. We turn away from this world. We turn our backs to the world and to sin. The sin that so easily entangles us. That can be called repentance. A turning away and a turning to. It's a turning. We turn away from the world and we embrace a new life of living for Christ. That's how you join in Christ's resurrection. Paul the Apostle puts it this way in words from Philippians 3 verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and that I may, not, that I may be found in Him, listen closely, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, The righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul continues that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Right, Tom? Amen. Amen. The sinless Lamb of God shed His blood as a covering, folks, as an atonement, as a propitiation or a a satisfaction to the wrath of God. He died for your sin and my sin as a substitute if you're willing to receive Him. Quite simply, He suffered for your sin and died in your place. It's that simple. 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, right? And on the third day, Jesus, as the first of many brethren, He rose from the dead conquering sin and death. So through faith in Christ, folks, you too can be made alive. You can be made alive to God. To live for Him. And He promises you in the future to rise from the dead along with the rest of us. The Resurrection to a life with Christ. That's how you have your part in Christ's resurrection. Through faith in Him. That's it. Nothing to the cross I bring... Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. It's Christ alone. My hope is found. There's, there's, folks, today there is not to remain amongst us here. There is not to remain amongst us anyone who hardens their heart against Jesus and turns their back on Him as did Judas. Judas. One who refuses to accept Him as Lord and Savior simply because they love this world that is so quickly passing away. No, that is not what we shall do, folks. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Don't be a Judas who would come into the presence of Christ and then turn his back and walk away. Even dip his bread in Jesus' cup and turns his back on him. Folks, hear and receive today the word of God God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He, believe, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's what's on the line. Eternity is on the line. Jesus arose from the dead. He was seen by His disciples, as you've heard multiple times today. At one day, He even stood before more than 500 brethren at one time. And Jesus told Thomas after His resurrection, And in the presence of the other disciples, reach here with your finger and see my hands. And reach here your hand and put it in my side. Be not unbelieving, but believing. Everyone here today, be believing.